All right, we're back with Lynn Bullard. Uh, you talked a lot about the cube and uh, the kind of community around in Huntsville. I was, I was just wondering how important that was to you and your songwriting and how a physical community really rubbed off on the whole scene. Um, if you don't have mates to work with uh, in a band, I suggest you get one because mm -hmm. you're going to learn more about music and songwriting from playing with other people than you could possibly learn from listening to records or you know, going to the seminar where you spend $345 to be told things that you could figure out from reading the book. Right, right. You know, um, I don't tell you to avoid those, but it's kind of a... <laughs> what you really should do, though, um, people ask me, you know, how do you do the finger-picking thing? And I tell them, you know, take a year of classical guitar because right. it will straighten your fingering out. I was mm -hmm. very lucky that... You have to. It's a yeah, classical guitar. You really have well, to. Well, you really have to learn certain tricks about how to play the guitar it's not just things you make up there are mm -hmm. there's a science there and there's a mm -hmm. there's a craft and i was very lucky because at that time uh the head of the uah music department was a man named dr royce boyer mm -hmm. and boyer made a funny decision uh, to people at the time and that was to allow people into music courses at the college level who had no training now that's really hard to do now mm -hmm. but um he just sort of had this he was a jazz aficionado, and he wanted to see, you know, we've got all these street musicians in town, and what happens if we start bringing them in? And so right. I went in for the audition and uh, played him a song on my guitar, and he says, well, you're not trained, but you're definitely musical. Mm -hmm. And you find out later from other trained musicians that that's a little bit of a, of a put down because it means mm -hmm. you, you don't have the real chops. But he was honest about it, that if we yeah. would come in and we would work, he would let us through. So... Yeah, I go in, and our instructor was a man named Charlie Higgins, um, whose son Dan Higgins is still in town, Kathy. Mm -hmm. And Charlie had been a country musician who had gotten training, and he was willing to work with me. And uh, I owe everything to Charlie as far as my my ability to play like classical guitar or work on a nylon string. Because the first thing they do is they take the steel string away from you right. and say nylon or nothing. Mm -hmm. And there was a girl in class with me who just looked at it and says, you know, I'm never going to get any good at this. And she said, so I'm going to sell you my classical guitar for $100. All and right. she did. And that's the guitar that my daughter Kelly is now playing at Tuscaloosa. So, uh, you know, Grise awesome. Griselda has been around for a while. Right. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. But, you know, we were starving our way through college. There was no right. money. The funny thing was that we were working musicians so that we would go to school and during the daytime we were the idiots at the back of the class because we didn't have the training, we couldn't answer the questions. Mm -hmm. I almost flunked my first theory class. Uh, they let me through by the, you know, for politeness. Uh, <laughs> the teacher just didn't want to see me again. Okay. And to fool with her, I went back and took th theory um, three or four times until I finally got my grade up to an mm -hmm. A. And Boyer asked me, why have you taken this so many times? I said, because I intend to use it. And right, I you understood. Want to learn it, yeah, I really did want to learn it. It wasn't something I just, you know, I just couldn't. I had to have the the, the knowledge, um, and that has paid off, you know, enormously yeah. now because you know now when I sit down when I, and I score for choir stuff like that, that's what I'm using. It's mm -hmm. not. Yeah. It's not just made up on the top of my head. It's things that I've learned. Um, so the fact that there was a university willing to work with us, that there were, that there was a, a working musician scene in town so that we could put ourselves through school, which is yeah. what we were doing mm -hmm. a lot cheaper then. You know, I wouldn't, right. It's very expensive for you now. And I really feel sorry about that, but um, we could afford UAH and UAH allowed us to be there. Um, 
and it was a crazy time because it's you know it's it's after the pill and before AIDS, so it was wide mm-hmm. open till boogie party for about ten years. Open season. Yeah, that was open season, and, <laughs> and thank you, Lord, we thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, so it was just it was a different time, but there was just yeah. there was no support in town. Again, there was very little recording scene, uh-huh. and um, you know we had to invent all of that. And part of what you have out there now is because we went through that scene, right? Yeah, and there's a, I think there's been a big change, and uh, people are missing the live bands, or they're starting to, you know, because there's been such a strange takeover of people with laptops and DJs mm-hmm. of just crowding out the live and, gigs. And just they're just well, not around like they used to be. There was a scene that stretched down university where there was just lots of rooms to play in, and then right. it, it wasn't the technology, but Mothers Against Drunk Driving that killed that, mm. because again, it was it was these were nightclubs, yeah, and you have mm-hmm. to make money. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the de-emphasis on music in this generation, nobody's willing to go out and pay what it costs the band to be there. And mm-hmm. you, you know that. It costs yeah. a lot. This is not the first time it's happened. Think about it. In the 30s and 40s, you had huge bands. In mm-hmm. the 50s, the economy collapses, and it goes back to you know combos and trios. Right. And the 60s comes along, and it's your you know first it's your swinging folk scene, and mm-hmm. then it's a big folk scene, and then suddenly with the Beatles, the bands come back. And then by your 70s, it's 14, and 80s, it's 14 and 15 pieces, you know, funk bands and yeah. stuff. <laughs> and everybody's on the road, and there's good money. So you have to sort of view it lifelong as a musician. It's, it's a cycle. Be, yeah, these cycles mm-hmm. you're going to go through, ups and downs. Just yeah. don't ever quit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, there's, there's always an entourage or some ensemble you can put together if it's just solo. You can sing. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's not, find somebody who can sing and back them up. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to do your take on the whole digital spin uh, music is taken. I mean, with the the labels kind of almost in decline, you know, from the just takeover from the music is accessed, but it's not it's not near like it used to be. I mean, there's no vinyls. Um, well, they say vinyls are coming back, but yeah. Uh, pluses and minuses. Tools is tools. Mm-hmm. What digital brought to us was the ability to do complex work for very cheap. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, if you go digital and you don't go real high res, you deal with the fact, as uh, T-Bone Burnett says, that you have square sound. You know, digital is on off. And so, therefore, it's only ever an, it's just an approximation of sound. It's not really sound. Right, right. It's, it's the instructions for making sound. Mm-hmm. And that has a tendency to sound a little thin and midi. Uh, right. mids and so um that took away from the quality of of the recording and you know because mp3s really suck mm-hmm. um and unfortunately because you're good engineers you'll try to make the you'll do what you have to do to the music to make the mp3 sound good and that becomes a constraint on the music you can listen to yeah uh and it really hurts acoustic music it mm-hmm. you know it sounds good for uh high, dig, high digital sounds uh synth sounds and all of that because right. those are square as well mm-hmm. But it sounds bad for acoustic. You don't have any room. Compression hurts sound. Uh, T-Bone Burnett left Nashville over that and wouldn't come back till they would allow him to take the compression out. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're back to, you know, if you go back to vinyl, you go back to the needles that bounce because you got too loud a bass sound. Right, you uh, got to find that. Yeah, the Beatles fought that. That was Paul McCartney's big thing, you, you know, the RIA curve. Mm-hmm. You know, will you let me get a little more bass in there? So that, that side of it has its pluses or minuses. The web hurt us because it destroyed mechanical royalties. It, right. The musicians have to work a long time to be able to do what they do. 
It's not mm-hmm. cheap. It's not easy. A good record is a quarter of a million dollar production at minimum. Right. And it's up to a million if you do it right. And what that means is you're playing musicians, you're paying uh, arrangers, you're paying everybody. And the mm-hmm. artist pays for that. So if the artist can't pay for that, they've got no choice but to do the digital small studio thing. And that's good because they can get their songs written and they can actually get something done. They can get mm-hmm. it out there. The web allows them to get to a large audience. I mean, I've got yeah. a YouTube site and I'm really surprised who downloads it and and, yeah. and where it goes and stuff because yeah. it's worldwide. Yeah, um, It's not a lot of money. But yeah. and that's the deal is uh, as Paul as I'm sorry a Ringo Starr and um, fellow were saying you know we sat down to write a song and it used to be we could write a song and that got us a swimming pool or a small house, now we figure we're going to split eighty seven dollars, right? And you know even for the very mm-hmm. bigs that's that's a big deal that there's no longer oh, any yeah. mechanical royalties coming back from play, uh, that's destroying the songwriting business. It's destroying the um, the other pieces of the industry because remember the musicians are like one of ten roles oh, yeah. that you have to have mm-hmm. so everybody's being hurt by that and i am very much working with those who are trying to figure out how to make the people who took all that money which is mm-hmm. google and youtube and right and spotify and make them give some of it back yeah um and that's going to be an ongoing fight the other end of that fight though is that at the very you have the very small rooms like the foyer and mst room and these places that that allow young songwriters to come play to recoup those mechanicals, BMI and ASCAP are going in and beating those people up and threatening and right. suing them for the fees. Those, they're all that's left, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's all that's left for the kids. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, yeah, guys my age, we can go find a bigger room, I suppose, if we want to. Well, I try not to do that. I try mm-hmm. not to take money away from working musicians. Yeah. Um, but for the kids, they need those rooms. They need those little rooms that they can go get some experiences. I mean, church is good. Mm-hmm. Um, school is good. But you really finally have to go down and get in front of an audience right. that's either, you know, that's drinking coffee and ignoring you and making noise. And you have to fight for their attention. That's and right. that's good for you. Yeah, so, be in the public. Rather. So if, if, if by trying to recoup those mechanicals they're losing to the web, they go out and they're operating what's functionally a protection racket yeah. on um, these little bitty rooms, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Because that's where your next generation of musicians have come from. Also, because they can't play any covers, they're going to forget my generation's music they want to play it right but they're not allowed to so they're just going to come up with their own scene and their own sound and their own heroes and uh we might as well dawdle off to the old folks home taking our culture with us and that would be a bad thing because you know we learn from the gershwins we learn from the beatles yeah right you want to learn those songs that's where you Mm -hmm. find out what good is yeah the music industry has got to finally come to a grace realization that don't rob piggy banks. Don't go yeah. hurt the seed corn. Mm-hmm. Make sure that there's, you know, what I look for is an exclusion contract that says if you're below this number of seats and this below of earning, you don't pay fees. Right. If you get bigger and you make money, we're coming for some of it. Right. If you're playing yeah. covers, we're coming for some of it. And they should. Mm-hmm. But don't kill the seed corn. You know, there's got to be some. Also, if they would do that, then your generation's a lot more willing to say, okay, we're not going to steal. Because we're stealing from ourselves. Right. They're going to be a lot more willing to say, let's become BMI writers. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. BMI, work with the system. But let's I mean, work with the system instead of having to fight it because they're helping us. And this is really true. Mm-hmm. If you did not have the collection agency as a songwriter, you wouldn't get a dime. Yeah. Goombas, there has to be some. Goombas to be have some. to go out and beat up club owners to get them to pay. 
-hmm. They have to go get those collections, and it's not going to happen any other way. I, I was a BMI writer. We were working in a room downtown, and the guy came in and said, I'm going to collect, and the guy says, I'm not going to pay you, and he looks at us and says, would you guys quit if I don't pay them? We said, yes, we're BMI mm -hmm. writers. Right. And he says, oh, that's the way it works. I said, yeah. Now, ASCAP, different system and not very fair. ASCAP takes a formula and gives all the money to the top performers. So no matter how hard you work as a songwriter, you're basically giving your money to... You know, whoever's yeah, already yeah, successful. Yeah, Taylor Swift or whoever. Yeah. Um, BMI is a little more fair, but either way, there's got to be some kind of accommodation there. And the only way that's going to happen is we're going to have to make a lot of noise about it. Yeah. Um, I like that when I get out of the foyer, it says on the front, no covers. Mm -hmm. you know, and they're telling you straight up, this is what we do. And yet they're still collecting money from their um, audience every week to try to pay those fees. And right. I want to look at them and say, Stop doing that, you know. Mm -hmm. Buy yourself a good PA or something. But, you know, God bless them. They're trying. They're trying. Right. Um, but I think my generation, uh, this older farts, we really need to look back at the agencies and stuff and say, stop that, damn it. Really? <laughs> you know. And it, they are, uh, I mean, I think they've been hurt so bad by the uh, the Internet and everything. They're really just grasping because the, the yeah, money's just are. gone, and they are. They have they have nothing left except what they had before. Yeah, and some of them don't really. I mean, Paul McCartney doesn't need more money, um, right? But you know, I have worked with uh, people in the industry, um, Taplin, uh, T Bone Burnett, people like that, trying to help them understand the scene that they're up against. Because I was part of the group that built the web. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. he and Al Gore. Uh, <laughs> But, um, and so I've always known what was coming, and they talk to me because of that, that I've stood in both worlds and have some viewpoints on that. doesn't mean they do what I ask, but, you know, I have been able to give them advice and write things for them from time to time. But they're going a little too far um, aggressively, mm -hmm. and uh, not particularly Taplin or Bur Burnett. I think they do understand, but Dave Lowry or the Tricord is evil. They're going a little too far. Yeah, I think it's it's turning people off to uh, signing up with them. Really, I yeah. mean, there's there, it's so easy to be an independent producer mm -hmm. with all the freeware. I mean, there's free recording software nowadays mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that uh, they just don't they don't see the need for it. And it's it, and you know it really should be like a collective of musicians like protecting each other. Well, and that's what they'll tell you. But um, and I've said to them, I said, you know. Kids are starting to get an attitude that says, screw Nashville, we don't need you. Mm -hmm. We just don't have to come up there. You've got nothing we don't have other than access to money and big stars and names. And you really do need the industry eventually. But at the same yeah. time, you don't need it to get started. And some people don't need it at all. You look at Walk Off the Earth. Mm -hmm. You know, 75 million fans and just sitting in Ontario and making their little videos and mm -hmm. stuff. And they're doing fine. Um, well, it's interesting because it's it's kind of rising up out of like the I don't know if you heard of OK Go with the YouTube and all that. Mm -hmm. They I think they started making mostly music videos, but mm -hmm. mo more videos, and they they've become uh, musicians essentially and mm -hmm. releasing songs now. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting it's that the monkeys they, all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, everyone's kind of coming because there's so much access, I guess. Well, that's the and that's the point of it, and that's a point uh, Burnett made to me. He says, "What's the difference between me and you? I have access. Mm -hmm. I have access to money." But he also has the risk of that, that when he takes that money and does something with it, he has to succeed because the people who give right. you that money do not accept non-success. So you at least have the room to experiment. You have more things to experiment with. You have a chance of making something new. And you have a chance to have a really good time. If you don't make it really big in the business, it really doesn't matter. Did you have fun? So yeah. that's, <laughs> Do you enjoy? Are you proud of your work? And... 
but we're telling them, look, um, show some grace. You know, mm-hmm. try to understand that you, if you're going, if you're grasping for the money, a college student trying to write a song is grasping a whole lot harder, right? Because you already have money, and these guys don't, and um, they have had some trouble understanding it because yeah. they enjoyed such success in their lives and they've always and it, well the industry was really built off of the the mm-hmm. whole i mean now that production's kind of flipped on its head mm-hmm. they they built it the complete opposite and now the yeah, world has changed so rapidly they were a-listers you can really see that when you you see the facebook pages of a-list people who have to mm-hmm. have team zeds you know the the team Marabeth who represents them and they never right. they're never on their facebook page. right and then because temperamentally they can't they were mm-hmm. raised with handlers, and they don't know what to say, and they're just mm-hmm. very. You know, I've seen one or two that you just had to turn them off because they're so mean about it. Mm-hmm. And um, then you'll have the ones um, like Arlo Guthrie, um, Mike Nesmith, um, Daryl Hannah, you know, who who told me back very quickly, "No, Len, there is no team, Daryl. It's me." All right. Um, Neil Young, who put up a thing that says, "If you see this hat, it's me. Uh-huh. Otherwise, it's my team, but otherwise, it's me." Julian Lennon argued down his, his crowd because they were getting mad about the team Julian. He said, look, I've got a lot of things to do here. I can't do this all yeah. the time. He says, but quit chewing on my people. And we're going, well, Julian, it's a conversational medium, and we Sorry. expect you to come down. And I haven't basically anyone who has a team said and they never show up, I don't care mm-hmm. who they are, I get rid of them on my Facebook feed. Right. If they don't have the cojones to have a chat with us every once in a mm-hmm. while, and I don't mean that control chat where someone looks at the questions and everything. Like yeah, the, pre- the Alton thing. Um, you know, you're a human being too, and mm-hmm. this is the world as it exists now. You, if you want to be loved by your fans, talk to them from time to time. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you see that with like, uh, some, some people like uh, George Takei has become wildly mm-hmm. popular mm-hmm. on Facebook mm-hmm. and it's, it's more, I mean, it's nothing to do with acting. He's not, mm-hmm. he's not writing about, uh, his best, uh, you know, his best roles or his most useful tips for yeah. uh, ongoing actors. It's all, it's all more, it's, it, well, it feels much more intimate and he's more ju- a joke. Yeah. yeah. He's having fun. And, and occasionally it is his team doing it. And he, he admits, okay, oh, this yeah. is, this is my mm-hmm. team doing this. But he says, but yeah, it's also me. That's all we ask. Uh, Bette Midler does it. Mm-hmm. You, you see the ones who, who are real entertainers and who really have worked in the rooms. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal. The people who actually worked rooms and, who know yeah. what it's like to have an audience sitting, you know, three feet off of their nose. Right. Um, and Being emerged in, in yeah. your, uh, the people who are consuming your work pretty much. And they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're going to release anything anymore, sorry, you're going to have to release it on Facebook. That's yep. where everybody is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the great club now. And that's, I think that's a good thing. Um, I don't think the rest of the industry goes away, but they're having a hard time adapting to it. And that just simply means that the children are going to eat them. <laughs> right. <laughs> It'll change one way or another. <laughs> yeah, one, one way or another, because the kids come up thinking, yeah, well, this is where you go for music. And uh, yeah. that's certainly true. Mm-hmm. I'm glad for it because of the of the stuff that I get. I used to be, you know, you've only got 1% of the stuff that was released. Oh, Taplin yeah. was talking about Because you that. had to have the money behind it. Yeah, Taplin wrote a blog about that, the monoculture. They said that you only 1% of the stuff being made was reaching mm-hmm. everybody. He says, that's wrong. And that's a sea change for Taplin because he was a defender of that before. And now he's, you know, he was a curator that only the best should get out there. It's an elite thing. Right. <laughs> and now he's beginning to realize, because we've beaten him up about it, that no, um, everything should get there 
and they will curate it for themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. It's like the free market of music nowadays because uh, it definitely is free. And, and yeah, unfortunately, it's really too free. But uh, but but things come out of nowhere and uh, just I, I guess catch the dime of the public and they just blow up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it is interesting the the kind of artists and stuff you see growing. But I'm impressed by some of it. Like I said, I, I some of it for a while was extremely bad. Yeah, it did. But then. Again, you go to the Bluebird on a songwriter night, and of the ten acts up there, three should have stayed home, and the next couple were okay, and then you'll get that last three that are very good. Right. That's the normal bell curve of talent. Yeah, and it doesn't that's how mean, it goes. Right? It doesn't mean those those first three or four shouldn't have been there because they were good enough to pass the audition. Mm-hmm. It just means you know they don't probably have a big future as performers, but they may be good songwriters. They may be good lyricists. Um, they have a role. And that's what you don't want to do is is make it elite again. Because, again, mm-hmm. control of access kept people from being able to be heard. And a lot of good artists disappeared. That's really what happened to the black artists of the 20s. Had, mm. the, had the so-called race records not been collected by furious collectors, mm-hmm. they would have vanished. Robert Johnson would have vanished. Right. Okay, so... You definitely don't want to kill that, you know, the bottom of the hat. You know, mm-hmm. The brim, the brim is where the brim. It's the brim of the hat that's keeping the water off your head, right? <laughs> not, not the, not the tip of it, uh, and nobody that goes to the top stays there. So I don't think any of that's going to change. Uh, but I am impressed by things I'm hearing. Again, uh, someone popped the Walk on the Earth video up, and I looked at that. I love this. This was great <laughs> because it was fun. It was funny, and they right. can actually sing. Uh, that's the one thing I kind of would like to look at someone and say sing <laughs> it helps so you're gonna be playing a cover for us a very old one. Oh yeah Bach, <laughs> a, a classical yeah three. this this is an honor of my old teacher charlie who taught me how to play this years ago and i every couple of years i have to relearn it because if i stop playing it for any length of time it goes away <laughs> and it might not work tonight i don't know all right well we got lynn bullard with Bach piezo <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, we're back again in Spice Rack Studios. We've got Lynn Bullard here. Um, you, you told me uh, you're pretty grateful for all your classical training. And uh, I, I was just wondering if you could tell the kids nowadays, like, what, what was the, the cornerstone, the best thing to focus on classical-wise? Like, what, what, what did you find to be the most useful portion of it? Uh, fingering technique that you, really? you, you're taught your fingering and your scales, how to do a slide, how to do a pivot on a guitar. There's a lot of little... Um, a lot of people, particularly who only have learned the blues, mm -hmm. they play three finger. Right. And now, there's a good reason for that because of the way pentatonic scales work and the way bends work with your hand. But mm -hmm. if you don't learn four finger, you never learn a complete scale or an efficient scale, and you can't play right. a position very well. Uh, if you don't learn a pivot finger, you don't learn how to effectively get around chord progressions. If you don't learn a slide, you don't learn how to work your way up and down the neck. So there's there's a lot of little things about your scales and things. I, mean, I don't recommend the Segovia scales, although I'm told there are uses for them. I found them mm -hmm. painful. Um, the best part of training I got was when uh, uh, Frank came to teach at UAH and he taught theory. We had been being taught um, standard theory, which starts with contus firmus and counterpoint, and you have to go through the history. That's a lousy way to learn to write. Mm -hmm. Someone needs to teach you the um, architecture of chords and their geometric shapes. And uh, Frank, uh, who's the uh, famous uh, uh, organist, uh, Frank Contreras, came in and he looked at us and he said, well, about half of you are never going to use any of this, and the other half of you really don't need to learn how to write 16th right. century counterpoint. Now, I've been through yeah. theory three <laughs> times, so I already knew that. Right. And he just said, here's the geometry, and he began to write chords up, and he began to teach us uh, thorough bass, how, you know, what is it when one's in the position, three's in the position, six mm -hmm. in the bass. And he walked us through all of that. And for, and then the lights went on. Now suddenly yeah. I could sit at the piano, and even though I wasn't a piano player, I could actually do something with it. And then I could transfer that over to guitar. And then the guitar opened up for me. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. There are some things that only reading and memorizing, like the Bach I just played sort of badly, but... Um, you can only learn that by reading it because mm -hmm. you'll never work the chords out in your head. It doesn't work that way. It is multiple independent voices. The mm -hmm. same thing's tr true of um, Jerry Reed. Jerry Reed was, they would say, he says, I'm not a guitar player, I'm a guitar thinker. And there mm -hmm. are, Jerry Reed stuff is very difficult, And but there are tricks to it, tricks where he's retuning strings so that he can finger correctly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you learn how to get music. And I'll tell people, you know, learn two instruments at least because oh, the yeah. first instrument's going to teach you how to play. The second instrument teaches you how music works because mm -hmm. you begin transferring what you learn from the first to the second. If you have some training, that allows you to do that effectively. When you go to arrange things, it allows you to do it. One of the things I'll do now, uh, we'll play something in a minute. It's a cover of a of a Jacques Brel piece um, from the 50s called Nemekitepa, which means if you go away. Very, very popular song in the 60s. Everybody recorded it. And I got curious about how his chord progressions worked. If you reduce them to uh, one, three, five, they're actually quite simple. Mm -hmm. But he's using a lot of interesting tensions in his arrangements. Yeah. And that's what makes his melody work. And that's the that's the beauty of, you know, please get between one, three, five and, you know, your basic folk music. Please Learn those because there's beautiful melodies there. Definitely right. do your folk. Mm -hmm. But then get to the, the extended chords. You know, Ignore the chord police. Please ignore the chord police. Right. Learn how to do <laughs> bloody jazz and find out why melodies work so well. Find yeah. out why the great songwriters of the American Songbook were jazz players because mm -hmm. of their command of the extended harmonic range. You have to learn this stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is what training's good for. You're not going to get it any other way. You just It's 
sorry, it's mathematically complex. Yeah, I've known a lot of uh, players that say, you know, they'll they'll get pretty far with just playing on their own, mm -hmm. developing their own style, but when they learn the theory, it just opens up all these different avenues, I guess they didn't realize. Mm -hmm. And and I think the multi-instrumentalism is really important in uh, how you think about your instrument. I, I used a lot of open tunings when I was first writing, and, and there's really good reasons for them, uh, particularly drop D, because it's what turns the guitar into a little orchestra, as Beethoven said, right. because you've got that you know bass all the way down to the D, mm -hmm. and you can use it as a, a drone string and stuff. And that's a whole style. But... Um, my guitar teacher said, don't get too into tunings. You will never learn to play the guitar if you do that. And that's a criticism right. I do see of a lot of the folk players who are, who are imitating Joni Mitchell and stuff or Crosby, and they're not learning how to play the guitar properly. And I don't mean to be you know, prude about that, but unless mm -hmm. you learn a straightforward tuning, there's a lot of position playing you'll never learn. Yeah, you're just learning songs yeah. and sections. of. Yeah. What drove, what drove me into it was I had to compete with your father. Okay. <laughs> Rick Joe, because Rick shows up and he's an extremely good, versatile jazz musician and he's blowing us out of there and we can't work because he's taking all the jobs. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you look up and you go, okay, never step away from a competitor like that. Don't don't run or criticize them or think because they can do something you can't. That's, oh, that's bad for me. No, that's good for you. Yeah, because they'll bring you yeah, they're gonna all bring sorts you of new ideas. Yeah, and when I was in Ground Level Sound, it was, it was a competitive songwriting group. There were four uh -huh. songwriters here. And every guy was trying to outright, outright the last guy. Uh -huh. And that just, you know, that drove us um, way up there in oh, yeah. of skill and recording yeah. and everything. You know, the competition's good for you. Don't turn it into a sport. And, mm -hmm. and don't be mean to one another because you're going to find by the time you get to my life, into my life, I'm 60, that uh, the musicians you came up with, that's your tribe. They yeah. may not be your close friends, mm -hmm. but those are the people that if you walk into a bar, they're going to be the ones to greet you. They're going to be the ones you want to sit down with because mm -hmm. they're the only people who know your world and your language. Right. So, you know, hang with your tribe. You know. So tell us a little bit more about this, uh, this song you'll be, we'll um, be playing here. This was a study. I, I was listening to the Brill. Um, I was listening to the French version of it uh, by Edith that uh, people trying to imitate Edith Piaf had done. Now, she actually never recorded this song. She did mm -hmm. a lot of other Brill, but she didn't do this. But there were people that tried to do it, and then a lot of Americans tried to do it. And, of course, the uh, Rod McEwen English lyrics were added, and people recorded it. And it's a drippy love song. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, tension-wise and progression-wise, it was interesting to me. And I wanted to score something that had space in it. Um, one of the things you learn is that you, when you, particularly if you do jazz and big fat chords, is don't use all the notes at the right, same time. Right, right. You know, don't muddy it. <laughs> don't muddy. Yeah, it gets muddy and thick. And so I was just studying the orchestral techniques that various people had used. I'd done another uh, jazz thing, uh, Softly As I Leave You, um, which is very pretty and gave me a chance to play piano. Uh, then I got to this one, intending to play piano. And then once I had it orchestrated, and, and remember, this is MIDI. I have to write every note out. There's not a MIDI mm -hmm. file that I start with. I right. sit down with a scoring program and I... I write it out. Put it all in there. Yeah, I figure out the, what the progression is, and then I, I build my way up and write all the parts out. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, you start trying to take... You, you, you throw everything at it initially. It gets really cluttered. And then you go back and you start taking stuff out and getting rid of this. Oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. Um, and then I got to it, and I would sing with it. And I realized, I was just sitting playing the guitar with it, that the guitar was the right thing. Right. Because that's how Brell had done it originally. Mm -hmm. And I realized why. That, you know, if you added piano, it just got thick, and it got kind of soupy um but when i used the guitar along with it then the string lines and the the, the 
flute lines and you know the uh, little bit of harp and stuff came forward. Right. And then all I had to do was sing one vocal. So uh, rather than double vocals or you know use a chorus unit to which you do in rock because you need it, mm-hmm. um, I could just use my voice up front. And then I did a one pass vocal on it, no dubbing, no autocorrect, no mm-hmm. nothing. And so there's parts of it that are appalling. Uh, to my ear <laughs> but it did have the right feel for what i was trying to do yeah and apparently it's it's done pretty well out on the web so yeah you know do it and move on but it was an exercise mm-hmm. yeah. well i feel like that's uh, one of the big lessons in jazz is is not playing all the notes not covering all the bases but playing the right ones you know finding the core of the interesting part of the yeah. the more complicated chords right and, find, and, find the tensions and yeah. work with them mm-hmm. you also find what makes the melody work that's what i was after why do these right. tensions yeah. make that melody work because the melodies and very, work together right yeah the, yeah. the melody is very plain otherwise mm-hmm. and the words are the you know the words of a guy as uh brell described it he said this the lyrics to this song are about what cowards men are you know, which is not what you think. You think, oh, this uh-huh. is just a heartbroken song. But no, he's just saying this is about what cowards men are, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Uh, and then I did the video with pictures of Audrey Hepburn, which seemed to work pretty well. Um, again, if you're doing this stuff, learn how to make videos. Just, right. Just and really, people can find your stuff yeah. on YouTube, right? Yeah. If you go up to uh, www.youtube.com slash C-L-E-N-B-U-L-L-A-R-D, uh, that's my YouTube site. And I guess we'll put it up on the your site uh-huh, yeah. and I'm over on Reverb Nation as Len Bullard which means you can get not just the videos but the audio files as well um, and you know please drop me a line let me know what you think unless you're going to give me an insult then I'm just going to block you and move on <laughs> well we're so happy to have you here today thank you this is fun it's, um, it's good to get in the studio with some musicians I'm just hermiting out a little bit too much lately. <laughs> well yeah personal space can always be good yeah, and everybody has one now. Um, and that's a good thing. I suggest you learn to do it, but take a piece of advice I got from uh, Terry Woodford, who ran Wishbone Studios over Muscle Shoals. Mm-hmm. He said, my songwriters would get those four-track recorders, and then, damn it, they would turn into engineers and quit writing good songs. Um, right. Don't get so sucked into the technology. It You forget the basic. <laughs> you forget what you came for, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, tools is tools. Learn to use them. Just remember, a good song is still a good song. And whatever else has happened to the business, money-wise, it all still starts with a good song. Mm-hmm. If you can write a good song, there is a place for you out and there. And that's where it's going to touch people, too. You know? Yeah, and well, it, it better touch you first. At the Bluebird, they tell you there's this little old woman that sat in the back, and she was real. And they said, if you can make her cry, you have a hit. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well... I'll work on that. That's right. Just get to know her. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we'll be playing uh, Lynn Bullard if you go away. Mm-hmm. If you go
the night bird song If you go away If you go away If you go away But if you stay I'll make you a day Like no day has been Or will be again We'll sail on the sun We'll ride on the rain We'll talk Then if you go, I'll understand Leave me just enough love to fill up my hand If you go away, if you go away, if you go away If you go away, as I know you will You must tell the world Stop turning till you return again If you ever do For what good is love without loving you Can I tell you now As you turn to go I'll be dying slow Till your next hello If you go away If you go away If you go away If you stay, I'll make you a knife like no night has been. All will be again. I'll sail on your smile, I'll ride on your touch. I'll talk to your eyes that I love so much. But if you go, no, I won't cry, though the good is gone from the word goodbye. If you go away, if you go away, if you go away. If you go away, as I know you must, there'll be nothing left in this world to trust. Just an empty room. Full of empty space Like the empty look I see on your face I'd have been the shadow of your dog If I thought it might Have kept me here By your side If you go away If you go away If you go away But if you stay, I'll make you a day Like no day has been or will be again You'll sail on the sun, we'll ride on the rain We'll talk to the trees and worship the wind Then if you go, I'll understand Give me just enough love to fill up my hand If you go away If you go away If you go away Ne me quittez pas Tout pour s'oublier Qui s'est fui déjà 
Oubliez le temps des malentendus et le temps perdu à se voir comment oublier ces yeux qui tuaient parfois à côté pourquoi les coudoubanieux ne me quittaient pas, ne me quittaient pas, ne me quittaient pas, ne me quittaient But if you say I'll make you a night Like the night has been or will be again I'll sail on your smile, I'll ride on your touch I'll talk to your eyes that I love so much But if you go, no, I won't cry Though the good is gone from the word If you go away, if you go away, if you go away. This has been a production of Spice Radio from Huntsville, Alabama. You guys know what you want and you don't have to do too much to get it. Get with us at spice-radio.com. If you have a podcast, you make music or art, or you have an event that you want to promote in the Tennessee Valley, you can find us at www.facebook.com slash spiceradiohuntsville or on Twitter at spiceradiohsv. And again, our website, spice-radio.com.